Hi guys, welcome back to Revving Up History. This is Revolta. It's good to finally be able to communicate with you all vocally anyway. Um, before we get going with uh, the chapter on the Great Depression, right? That was a chapter we were kind of in the midst of before we had this extended break. Um, just some quick things, right, about the hopefully joining the Google Classroom. Again, if you need the code to that classroom, um, I believe I put it up on Canvas, but if you did not get it, I'm bringing it up real quick. The code is Q3, uh, Q, sorry, Q3KULMX. Again, that is Q3KULMX. And again, this is kind of join more for like HANA purposes, right? Those of you dual students have Canvas. That'll be the main way we kind of move forward. And again, this is new territory, right? No, it's kind of a crazy time, but we should do the best we can. Uh, you know, according to the Texas Education Agency, we still have to provide you the opportunity to kind of learn, do those things. So I'll, I'll do things like post the chapters, probably do a few practice quizzes or activities, see how that goes. And uh, main thing is to hopefully join the platform and then just keep up with the news, right? Right now, tentatively, we're supposed to go back April 13th. We'll see what happens, right? We'll see how uh, you know, the virus, uh, you know, the updates with it and stuff in the next uh, couple of weeks and the impact of the shelter in place order and all that. So I know kind of a crazy time, uh, but, you know, we just uh, do the best we can, right? That's all we can do. Uh, again, any questions, please feel free to email me or send me a message. It can be through the Google Classroom. It can be through Canvas. It can be through uh, to my rd.bisd.us email. And I'm pretty active on um, you know, with the emails and all that. Some of you have been emailing me. You know, I'm doing my best to get back to you as soon as I can. So I'm pretty active on it You know, during the week from 9 to 3 or so or 9 to 4. Uh, again, if uh, there's a break in it, you know, I don't know, I'm making food or doing something around the house, but I'll check it really, really quickly. So I'll do my best to get back to you. Uh, as far as dual students are concerned, right? Technically, school begins this uh, tomorrow, Monday, and the rest of the year will be online. So the main thing is to keep up with Canvas. You know, the big things, of course, are your kind of rough draft, right? Or your checkpoint for the signature assignment and then the due date in a few weeks. Um, as of right now, I'm going to keep it the same because I'd like to grade those things as fast as I can, get those back to you. You know, the big thing will be I need to decide what to exactly do with your final exam. Since we're not going to be meeting, you know, in person and all that, I don't know, I might have to assign you another short paper. You know, I know it's kind of taxing, right? You're in the middle of this one. It, will be, it won't be very long. It'll be very short, if anything. Or maybe I just make your, you know, signature, your signature, your final exam uh, via Canvas, right? Uh, multiple choice, maybe some short answer. <laughs> and uh, you just take it through there and then I'll give you a window, maybe, you know, a certain weekend uh, in early May to get that done. I'll do a review on this. I'll do a review um, as like a document as well and that I'll post for you guys. So I'll figure that out, you know, probably within a week or so or, uh, you know, about that. But again, we do the best we can and uh, you know, it's good to be able to talk to some of the, talk about some of the content with you guys. Uh, it feels like it's been a while to say the least. All right, guys, so we'll begin. Uh, this episode is focusing on uh, FDR and the New Deal. So, of course, the Great Depression, right, causes, effects, uh, how uh, the FDR administration kind of dealt with those things, how Americans dealt with those things, right? And again, a lot of eerie similarities, some of the stuff we have going on right now, right, with the economy in rough shape. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the things that people <laughs> had to do to kind of survive and make their way in the, during that crazy time. I guess so just to kind of lead the way into, you know, we have the aftermath of the 1920s, right? That great time for business, great time for, um, you know, stuff going on with the, the flappers and kind of sexual revolution going on with feminism, stuff, some of that stuff. Uh, but the great economic time, right? With automobiles, with those home appliances, 
And what we see in 1929 is basically the bubble burst on that. Is, you know, the way business was handled in the late 1920s was on the assumption that it's going to continue moving in that direction, continue improving. And that just did not happen. Again, one of the key reasons for that we had talked about before, right, was wages did grow, but not necessarily maybe where they should, enough to give consumers that sort of spending to keep that thing, keep that level up where it needed to be. And eventually that bottom was going to kind of come out. So, you know, the stock market collapsed, of course, in October of 29. Factories will end up shutting down. Unemployment goes up to peak levels of about 25%. And, uh, you know, all that optimism that was built up in the 1920s kind of goes crashing down, to say the least. All right, guys, so uh, again, 1929, right? We call it Black Thursday and Black Tuesday. Uh, again, the kind of snowball effect was, again, people losing faith in the stock market, right? Rushing to their banks to remove savings because they didn't feel like their money was safe. And then bank, the bank failures, right? And the bank practices also contributed to it. And the big kind of aggregate or the big sort of macro cause was basically overproduction, right? Too many goods, not enough people buying them. Also not enough international trade to kind of stimulate the buying of that. So that demand for goods goes way down. And, you know, uh, factories and you know, companies need to downscale, need to let go of workers, close up shop, certain places to kind of meet that. And it's kind of ugly to compare, and I'm not <laughs> doing this lightly. I know it's a rough time for a lot of people, but consider what's going on right now, right, with restaurants and those things, right? As a business owner, if you're you know, owning a restaurant or a little store that is one of these non-essentials, right, um, it's tough to go from being kind of fully operational just, you know, three weeks ago or so to now, you know, maybe basically having a skeleton crew and seeing, you know, your customer numbers drop in half, probably more, that's very, very tough to kind of maintain. So uh, kind of same thing happened, right? More with the bigger companies and production wise uh, in the kind of late 20s into the early 30s. All right, guys, some effects of the depression, right? Again, it's going to affect all social classes. Many believe that the Upper class, middle class are the ones that are harder hit because the you know poorer folks kind of used to that um, lifestyle, used to kind of having to grind it out uh, and trying to make the best of what they had. We're also going to have thousands of uh, young homeless people, these Hoovervilles, right? Those shanty towns popping up in big, uh, outside big U.S. cities, and the jobless, you know, in bread lines, looking for random work, riding the rails, right? Just trying to do whatever they could to hopefully get a steady paycheck at least for a while and provide for their families. So initially, Hoover, again, uh, is trying to, you know, seek out action. These are one of the last things we took notes on with that uh, kind of what's called volunteerism, right? Or that kind of active cooperation of your sort of neighbors, private charities, and relying on churches, organizations like that to provide food, provide shelter if necessary. And again, it's very easy to kind of blame, put the blame on Hoover, and he definitely does deserve some of it. But, you know, the idea at the time that it was automatically assumed that the government was going to come in and save the day. It just didn't happen, right? What we see nowadays, right, with this like bailout package or the $7 trillion kind of aid, or $2 trillion, sorry, aid that just passed a few days ago, it's a very different time back then. And, uh, you know, Americans, this is kind of that when the switch happens, when, you know, Hoover's kind of just, to a lot of Americans, right, just sitting and sitting back and waiting to see what's going to happen, saying it'll get better, it'll get better, it'll get better doesn't really happen and you know, it's why eventually we end up with a, ch a shift and a change of party and a change of president uh, in 1932. Uh, he did do a little again the Reconstruction Finance Corporation was founded to try to help those banks that are really struggling and then the farm board was also established to try to buy surplus farm goods because remember farmers were suffering because um, of that overproduction right there's not enough people buying their goods those goods that were out there were fetching very very low prices so they were not making a good living on uh, you know the things they were selling. Uh, the nail in the coffin for Hoover is probably the bonus army. <laughs> so this occurs 
very late in his tenure of president, early 1930s, when a bunch of World War I veterans were promised basically a bonus uh, kind of payments. It was supposed to be delivered uh, decades later. But because so many of them were out of jobs and so forth, they marched on DC and basically camped out there for several weeks. And uh, Hoover's reaction to this kind of cemented his place in the public eye. And he calls out a gentleman named General Douglas MacArthur, really important figure later on in the Cold War and in World War II. And uh, basically they disperse, right? They tear gas those veterans and they send them home mostly empty handed. You know, there are some assaults, some people are arrested, but you know, it kind of shows how unresponsive the government was to a lot of the needs of the people, especially these you know, young men or now middle-aged men who had served their country in World War I and were now looking for help from their government. So the kind of perception was indifference, right? They, they didn't care about the suffering that was kind of going on during that time. As far as bank failures, again, they began way back in 1929, and then the peak is in 1933 with over 5,000 thousands all over the country and again we played that game in class right hopefully you remember but you know the shady thing that banks were doing is they're required they're only required to keep a very low percentage of their holdings in in the bank and the rest they would basically leverage right they would play the stock market to try to earn uh, money uh, with that through those funds and to keep their banks you know rolling there was no insurance from the federal government that didn't exist until after um, you know after uh, the great depression so a lot of people are going to lose their money in these banks all right, guys, so a little bit on Roosevelt. Again, I think we also took notes on this. Again, a very wealthy background, right, uh, in the Northeast, mainly out of New York. Spent summers in Europe, uh, very privileged. Crippled by polio in 1921, elected governor of New York in 1928. And that's how, uh, as a Democrat, and this is how he's kind of ascends to be a national figure in politics. Uh, so in 32, he's going to defeat Hoover uh, with a lot of support of the farmers, immigrant population, Catholics. Uh, a lot of the kind of working class, especially the urban working class. And, uh, you know, the idea with who, with uh, Hoover here is Hoover did nothing. So we want someone who has a plan, someone who has a new deal for the American people. Uh, you know, uh, now that the Depression is kind of uh, fully on its way. All right, guys. So uh, the best example of this kind of activism on the part of Roosevelt is his 100 days, or what's called the 100 days, his first three months or so in office. So, you know, from the onset, right, he's very well-educated, he's very well-spoken, probably one of the best speakers we've ever had as president, and his ability to kind of, like, convince people was uh, something to be kind of in awe of. So uh, this is where he gives his, in his inauguration, right, we have nothing to fear but fear itself speech, uh, and he is establishing some things right off the bat. You know, in these first three months uh, or so, he's going to attempt to pass 15 major laws or, uh, you know, acts, and all of them go through uh, Congress, so... It's kind of starting off on a good note of getting things done and being proactive. Uh, this will work very, very well, at least. Uh, the American people will respond very good to it. Uh, the banking system, right, uh, was kind of a priority for us. This will be something he takes care of during this time. And then the establishment of the Tennessee Valley Authority, which is basically a massive kind of infrastructure project meant to put thousands of people to work and kind of improve a part of the nation that had been kind of ignored for a while. Uh, good. And the idea was through to reform and restore the economy, not through nationalization, right? Not through the government kind of necessarily like owning all the industries, but, you know, the government kind of assisting and, and helping that, uh, you know, the, the economy recuperate and try to recover what it had lost. Uh, so a little bit more detail just on Tennessee Valley Authority. So this is uh, on a bunch of, a series of dams, I think over 15, that are going to be built on the Tennessee River. And again, not only affecting the state of Tennessee, you know, we just think that and we think it was only Tennessee, but th this river system is one that goes from Virginia, basically through Alabama, 
and uh, of course through other states like Tennessee, uh, part of the Carolinas, part of Georgia. So the idea was to create a system here of power plants and dams that'll uh, kind of upgrade the infrastructure of this region. And again, thousands of people will be put to work. And again, uh, you know, any opportunity to put people back to work was something's going to be viewed very positively. Uh, some other things, <laughs> the National Recovery Administration is basically starting to try to kind of organize big business and to outline the conduct and how, you know, the the economy will recover. So trying to just eliminate things like certain competition, like basically the idea was let's get big businesses to work together to put people back to work, to sell their goods, because, you know, they felt like sometimes the competition was hurting them and not being so, uh, you know, it wasn't doing a lot of great things for the economy. Uh, some other things, passage of what we call the AAA, this is the Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1933. And through this, farmers were paid to take land out of cultivation. Uh, sharecroppers and tenant farmers, uh, those dispossessed were uh, kind of aided to hopefully try to, you know, uh, get to the land of their own. And prices increased, but mainly because of the government paying. You know, it's really, basically what happened here is the government is gonna pay farmers to kind of give their land a break and to take crops out of rotation. And what that will do in the long run is lower the supply, right? And hopefully restore price. So again, the government basically paying farmers to farm less is kind of what's going on. Uh, some other things, um, uh, the CCC founded in 1933. Uh, this is the Civilian Conservation Course. It's gonna provide work for young people and they're gonna be working on parks, planting trees, other infrastructure projects all over the country. In 1935, we have the Works Progress Administration also passed. It's going to be billions of dollars going to be fed into this. And basically, it's to place the unemployed on the federal payroll. So the way this will work is, you know, in certain cities or offices around the country, uh, they would recruit people based on whatever experience they had. So if you were a writer, they'd pay, pay you to write, you know, plays, to write scripts, to write novels, short stories, poems, whatever. And, you know, the quality of these things is not going to be very good, but the idea was just to give people a steady paycheck and have them use whatever skill they might have. It could be art, it could be other construction projects, also a part of this as well. Uh, so, again, the government really, really kicking into high gear and throwing a lot of money at this issue. Um, all right, guys, now we see a big switch kind of from 30 and 30, from 34, 35 and beyond. It was probably the most active time for FDR. Congress is on board with him. But by this time, it's starting to kind of shift a little bit. And, you know, his opponents basically say Roosevelt, you know, he did do something, but it wasn't necessarily, it didn't go far enough to truly shift and change what was going on with the Depression. And his opponents are going to be uh, basically critical because he's using, you know, these organizations, these different acts that he's passing to have kind of more power than anyone's ever had before in U.S. history. So he's kind of walking a fine line, and especially the Supreme Court will start to oppose him and really does already in the kind of mid-1930s the programs like the AAA, like the National, um, oh, what was the other one? Yeah, like the uh, Reconstruction Finance Corporation uh, and those. So, uh, you know, he's going to have a rougher time in the latter part of the 1930s, but especially, you know, main thing, restoring faith in the economy and all that. Uh, he'll do that very, very successfully. All right, uh, some of the key things, other challenges to FDR. There's three men in particular that your chapter kind of focuses on. Uh, one is uh, named Father Charles Coughlin, who was believed a very popular Catholic priest out of Cleveland. And he had a very popular radio program. Uh, and he was kind of a you know, kind of an early sort of radio star in the 1930s. And uh, it was a lot, a lot of fear mongering though. And Coughlin was really popular uh, because a lot of people agreed with him. Basically, he wanted to see the nationalization of the banks. He didn't believe that private banks had a place in the American economy. 
because of what we had seen, right? Without government oversight, they had invested people's money, done all these nasty things. So he advocated for the federal government basically running all the, the banks in the nation. Uh, you know, again, for his listeners and all that, a lot of people believed in him. And, but he's also had a, like a nasty streak with a lot of anti-Semitic sort of rants on his radio show. But you know, a lot of people will uh, agree with him and you know, a very loud, popular voice in the Midwest during the 30s. Another gentleman is named Francis Townsend. He's a retired doctor from California. And Townsend is going to be um, probably the most successful of these big opponents to, um, uh, to FDR because his idea kind of takes a life of its own. But uh, this retired doctor from California began a call for a $200 per month pension to all those Americans that were over 60, uh, as long as they spent it within a month. So Townsend here trying to battle a couple of things. You know, one thing that the Great Depression put a highlight on is uh, how as Americans get older and their ability to work um, becomes less, they're earning less income, but they have more expenses, right, because of health and other issues. And so uh, Townsend, what tried to do here basically is help those Americans who you know, have been working and contributing to the economy for so long, and also we're going to reinvigorate the economy by providing them with a pension. And the idea is also they have to spend it, you know, soon thereafter they get it. It's a really interesting idea. You know, this is kind of the origins of Social Security. So uh, it would, you know, change pretty radically. But Townsend here are going to have kind of maybe a little bit more constructive sort of opponent to FDR and the things going on and his decisions that he's making for the economy. Uh, politically, the biggest rival to FDR during this time is a gentleman named Huey Long out of Louisiana. And uh, Huey Long, really interesting, way more radical, really wanted to go and redo the way we kind of distribute wealth in the country. And what's going to make him extremely popular with the lower classes and a lot of people during the Depression is uh, he had his idea for a program called Share the Wealth and basically called for redistribution of wealth by seizing private fortunes. So tax the ultra rich at a very, very high level and redistribute that money to Americans to the point where even he called for Americans getting a monthly uh, kind of check from the government. And even later, I think some of his rhetoric included like every American uh, being given sort of like a sort of like a stipend for a home and stuff like that. So it's borderline kind of socialist views or socialism. At a time when the government and uh, you know was struggling with the depression, all those things, a lot of people advocated for that. Um, if you're wondering what happens to Huey Long, it's pretty sad. But he ends up getting assassinated in uh, Louisiana. So never sees that. You know, never becomes that national kind of figure. Just kind of emerges and then fizzles out, of course, after his assassination. But really fascinating character. All right, guys, some of the bigger things in a later chapter. I apologize, I know we're running kind of long. Uh, 1935, we have the Social Security Act passed. Um, so this Social Security Act that's still around today, right? We are given a number, and you have that number for your whole life. And basically what it is is you know, the government kind of forcing you to have a savings account, but one that you can't access until you're in your mid to late 60s. And the idea is that's going to help you kind of live out the rest of your life, right? And uh, hopefully not be, be fairly independent. Um, but some of the early criticisms for this act are uh, the who it covered. You know, it covered people with company jobs and things like that, but it did not cover uh, people who worked in kind of non, like non-traditional areas. Um, you know, if you helped uh, around the home or if you're even maybe a small business owner, like, you know, I don't know, you did landscaping or you helped out as a seamstress or something like that, there was no formal kind of pension for you. So you had to have a job that kind of qualified for it to be covered. Uh, what else? Uh, also, this is, you know, the beginning of uh, the establishment of, of government aid to the poor, to the aged, to the handicapped. And part of this went to uh, pay workers who were basically unable to work and to help supplement that. And uh, 
you know, again, some people also claim the benefits were too low. Like a person can't even live off this. So what is it good for? Uh, you know, so these are all some of the criticisms that Social Security face. But you know, big expense for the government in modern day still has a big impact in our lives uh, even today. Uh, let's see other things. Uh, some other things that are passed during the time: the Wagner Act uh, basically allows uh, unions to have a little bit more rights in negotiations with companies. 1938, we have see the Fair Labor Standard Act. This makes a maximum hour for you know. Uh, uh, laborers in this country or workers as well as establish a minimum wage i think that initial minimum wage was really low like 40 cents or something like that per hour but uh you know the government basically stepping in and trying to mediate things between labor and owners of industry uh, and so forth uh good uh, as far as the uh, impact of the new deal right again, it's gonna have a big influence on americans during the 1930s help restore faith in government it does help labor unions quite a bit where you could also make a big criticism is how it helped or perhaps maybe failed to help women and minorities. And a lot of people see that within the Social Security Act it is because a lot of those positions, right, such as, you know, maybe being a domestic worker, stuff like that. And minorities also had a lot of jobs that were kind of off the books. They weren't covered by Social Security. So those pensions didn't kind of apply to them. So um, that is a valid kind of criticism of Social Security. Uh, let's see. All right, guys, as far as the end of the New Deal, again, this kind of wraps up in 1936 uh, and peaked with Roosevelt's re-election. We're going to win four elections in a row because of the Great Depression as well as the uh, war uh, in Europe that will follow uh, later. Uh, but basically after 1936, uh, his programs start to be resisted. And we don't see that sort of level of achievement that we saw early in the 1930s through his 100 days and a little bit after that. Uh, but... Uh, you know, FDR will be popular enough to win the election in 36 again, and later on in 40, and then again in 44. Uh, the big kind of controversy, especially in the second term for FDR, is going to be his rivalry with the Supreme Court. So basically what's been going on with the Supreme Court is they've been blocking some of his first-term programs, things like the CCC, the AAA, and others. And uh, in 1937, FDR, FDR is going to try to some, do something called pack the court. So sometimes it's called the court packing scheme. But basically what happened here is FDR is trying to change the parameters of what it is to become a Supreme Court justice. Um, so again, basically in this, you know, uh, in the regular kind of instance, the president nominates someone, right? They're reviewed by Congress and have this position. Remember, they have this position basically for life or until their health declines so much they cannot perform their duty. But uh, because they're, they're so kind of anti some of his programs, uh, FDR is getting kind of fed up. So he wants to basically kick some people out of the Supreme Court and establish new parameters for how to accept new people. Uh, something he wanted to do is, for instance, was put an age cap, I believe at 70. And you know, at the court at that time, I think there was at least three justices that were over that age. So automatically he would have got rid of those three and then he would have done the nominating for the new three. So you can see maybe the kind of political games he's playing at the time. Now where he really kind of overestimated stuff is he thought his party would back him on this, but uh, you know, those regional politicians and so forth, they really questioned this. They don't like, did not like the idea of this you know, lingering in the future, right? A Republican president could do it too later. It brings up all sorts of issues and things of sort of balance of power, right? Ideas that are as old as our country, as old as the Constitution. So uh, his opponents will start to get a lot of traction and his programs are going to start to be um, sort of bashed for some of this stuff. Um, so again, he's unable to kind of get these new parameters in place, still struggles with the Supreme Court and loses a little bit of kind of steam because of that court packing scheme that, that does fail. Again, overall, though, again, the New Deal is massive, right? From the thousands and thousands of people that are put back to work to the money hated 
and just, you know, if, you know, even the things we haven't talked about, right? FHA, the Federal Housing Administration, right, makes owning a home a little bit more easy, easy and a little bit more kind of backed up by the federal government. And things like the FCC, the Federal Communications Commissions, um, and Social Security within itself is a massive project. Uh, you can't really, it's hard to kind of overstate how important the New Deal was and the impact it has on our lives today. Uh, the SEC, right, Securities and Exchange Commission, overseeing, regulating of the stock market. You know, if you remember back in the day or whenever you hear a celebrity go to the jail because of the stock market, it's because they had stock tips or insider trading, right? So you can't, you know, the idea is you can't take advantage of information that uh, is not kind of free and out there and you use a tip to sell stocks or gain stocks or something, you can go to jail for that. Um, you know, from Martha Stewart to Steve Madden, to a bunch of people have gone to jail for that. All right, guys, we get to kind of the later parts of the New Deal. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a hiccup in the economy in the late 1930s, and the Republicans kind of see a little bit of a resurgence. But the, you know, the idea is that the, by the time, you know, enough of the symptoms have kind of been dealt with by the time we hit and uh, begin World War II. And the war is really what gets us out of the, the Great Depression. But, you know, if nothing else, FDR was kind of the leader of the time who communicated better than Hoover did, responded faster than Hoover did, and maintained the loyalty of the American people through it. And especially because the war will now begin, right? That'll ramp up the economy and, and the support for production and so forth that was needed. Uh, good. All right, guys, so the big kind of thing, if you want to be critical of the New Deal, right? It didn't really solve the all the issues of the Depression, just helped with the symptoms. Um... Again, some people say that was a problem with maybe FDR and the New Deal is it did do some things, but it not, didn't go far enough to make a massive total change. And it did, you know, some people say it did too little where it, you know, didn't really impact some parts of the economy. That might be a little bit harsh, but some people feel that way. As far as the achievements, we've talked about Social Security, those other programs, strengthening labor, all those things. And definitely, you know, cementing the realignment of the sort of the Democrats. Right now, Democrats associated with the cities associated with immigrants, um, you know, urban rights, things like that. So what's going on with through the New Deal and through the Depression has been kind of, a, you know, almost a 180 as far as the, you know, who is with what party and so forth. And this will kind of be cemented later on through the civil rights movements and stuff like that. I apologize, guys, for going so long. I guess I had to pen up a little bit. Um, but uh, it's been a pleasure, and hopefully you learned a little bit. And we'll talk to you later.